You know, this day in the church calendar year is, is jam-packed with meaning for a variety of reasons, and it actually depends on your tradition and your background as to what it means to you, interestingly enough, because it's been dubbed uh, by many different people for many different reasons. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean. How many of you know the song, uh, A Partridge in a Pear Tree, The Twelve Days of Christmas? Right? You know that song. Most of us do. Most of us get tired of it. But do you know what the twelfth day is in the song, A Partridge in a Pear Tree? Twelve drummers drumming. We just have one. Way to go, Jeff. Thank you. Twelve drummers drumming. What if you had 12 drummers? You'd be screaming and running out of here, some of you. But that's one tradition is the 12 days of Christmas. And there's a debate, actually, whether this is the 12th day or yesterday is. I don't know if you know that. It depends if you count Christmas Day as the first day or the day after as the first day. There were a couple of us talking about that this morning, even before the 8 o'clock service. Another... uh, dimension of today that people celebrate. Uh, In our tradition, we celebrate Epiphany on the 6th of January. And Epiphany is a word that's very much related to the word Theophany. Theophany is the manifestation of God, God revealing himself. And Epiphany, light upon, epi, upon, phanos, light, light upon. It means that God is revealing himself. He's revealing Through shedding light so that we can perceive. It's God, God's revelation of himself, of his will, of his plan of salvation. Some of the Eastern churches, our Eastern brothers and sisters, there's actually two different practices or beliefs on this day. One is the baptism of our Lord, which we will actually focus on next Sunday. The Sunday after the Epiphany. And the last one is that this is actually celebrated as Christmas. When the wise men arrive with the gifts on what we call Epiphany is when for some they actually celebrate Christmas. So there you go. You've got all these different foci about what this day can mean to different people. For us as a family, this was the 12th day of Christmas. We would set up the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. That was part of our family tradition. And we in the church actually decorate for Christmas Eve. And then we in our family would take down everything on January 6th, which we practiced as the 12th day of Christmas. So it depends on your practice. But really, what we're focusing this day with is the story through lessons and carols of God revealing his plan of salvation, which actually began in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.15, when Adam and Eve sinned and God said, I have a plan. And the prophecy involved the man and the serpent about the serpent's head being crushed. God dealing with our sin, our challenges, our shortcomings. That's the prophecy.
the beginning of the prophecy, and it unfolds down through the pages of Scripture. And if you heard the reading from Isaiah, there's actually three parts to Isaiah, as scholars often talk about. Part one contains, especially for those of us that think about Scripture in Isaiah 7 and 9 and 11, the words that are made famous by Handel and Handel's Messiah which contained the words, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Words like that in that first section. And then the second section of Isaiah, which you get to later, chapters 40 through 53, you have the songs of Isaiah, which prophesy about the servant, the servant songs. And in particular, the last one in chapters 52 and 53 that focus on the suffering servant. And then by the time you get to this particular reading in Isaiah 60, 60 through 66, actually kind of culminate Isaiah's prophecies. And you have these layers of the people who were in darkness. That is the people of Israel who were exiled. They were exiled in 721 when the northern kingdom fell. And Isaiah's prophecy are around the year 700. And he's prophesying that the people will return. So that's the first layer of prophecy. The second layer has to do with the coming Messiah, Jesus, who's going to deliver the people. Deliver the people from what? From their sin, from their darkness, from their hopelessness. The same thing that the people were experiencing in exile because of their sin. The third layer of prophecy comes at the second coming, which you see this fulfillment come at the end of our reading today. We're going to get to that. But you see how these layers are woven throughout prophecy, and that's sometimes how prophecy happens. Sometimes prophecy is, boom, this big impact all at once. Sometimes it's layered. Let me give you an analogy. When Meredith and I were going to have a child, our first child, Our second child, our third child. When we knew we were pregnant, we announced it to the world. We were so excited. And we told everybody. And then people would say, well, do you know what you're going to have? And we would say, no, we want to be surprised. Okay, so that's kind of the all-at-once approach, right? Now, today, we've had two children deliver babies last year. And it's like, we're pregnant. Oh, we're so excited. We're going to have a grandchild. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) Well, what about your brothers and sisters? We're going to tell them. Okay. And then they're not allowed to tell anybody until they figure out how they're going to tell the world. Facebook or Instagram or something. Something clever. And they don't want to tell people for a variety of reasons. I mean, they've all got their reasons. But it's really, really interesting. So there's this layered approach to announcing the baby. Then, is it a boy or a girl? Well, it's a boy, but we don't want to tell everybody because we've got to do this clever thing that we're going to announce it on Facebook. Gender reveal. Another layer. And then the baby's born. 
And then we got that aspect. And then after that, then it's like, well, now we got to send out the picture to everybody, you know? So it's this layered approach to revealing, right? That's what we're talking about. That's like prophecy, sort of. But it's this layered approach that you anticipate and you see fulfilled as time goes on. But God seeks to reveal himself to us. And he does it in such a way because he wants us to know. He wants us to know himself. He wants us to know his plan of salvation. He wants us to know his will. And the reality is the people are in darkness And they need the light. And isn't it, it, it interesting on this epiphany celebration, where we talk about the wise men, the light, the star, points to the light who is the light of the world. The use of light. And Jesus is called the light of life for the people who sit in darkness. He's also called a light to the nations. And the wise men represent the nations. Not just the people of Israel. Yes, a light to the people of Israel. But also a light to the nations when this word became flesh. What a wonderful picture for us. As to what God is trying to do. God is always trying to reveal himself to us. And the question is, Are we open to his revelation? Are we open to him trying to show us? Because there's there's this light that's come into the world and so many people sit in darkness just like they did during Isaiah's time. They sat in darkness because they chose rebellion. They chose to live into their own way. The prophets before were calling them back to repentance. They ignored. They ignored And how often people ignore God's call, God's way. God tries to reach people through his word, through creation, through people that he brings into your life. And the question is, are you open to his call? Are you open to his word, this great light that he wants to provide for you? And then there's this word. When you finally are willing to see the light, arise, your light has shined. Arise. You know, when I was a teenager, like 13, 14, 15, my dad, every Saturday morning, every Saturday morning, would come into my room at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Now, I have to tell you about my room first. I had dark curtains, and I had my walls painted dark green. We were allowed to choose the color. So I had my room painted. I loved dark. You know, that way I could just really, really sleep. But my dad, every Saturday morning, would throw the curtains open. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. What are you doing in bed? I hated it. What do teenagers do today? Sleep in, right? And most parents give them that grace. Not my dad. But it was that light, you know, that would cause you to arise. 
whether you wanted to or not. But the question is, are we open to the light? Because it's that light that will cause us to arise. Your light has come. Shines in the darkness. In the darkness of our lives. And the darkness might be for one reason or another. But a lot of times it's because of the darkness in the world, the darkness of the sin in our lives, the sin of others' lives. There's brokenness. There's hopelessness. And we want the light. We need the light to shine into our lives. The world needs the light. And that's why God sent the light. Jesus, the light of the world. And then there's this great line that follows. Sons and daughters. I don't know if you caught it. But it says, where is it? Let me find it one second. Verse 4, lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on their nurse's arm. Now, that is particularly meaningful to me right now. Because none of my children live within a, any closer than a nine-hour drive. And I love being with my children. And now that I have two grandchildren, I love it even more. But when you have children who live nine hours or more away, you want your sons and daughters to return. And you love it when they do. Because I have a great relationship. Meredith and I have a great relationship with all of our kids. And now that we have grandkids, we love it. We love it. And it's particularly poignant with my son Daniel over in Afghanistan. I want him to return safely. So when I read this line, I'm acutely aware of wanting my sons and my daughters around me. And that's what God is saying. See, back in the day when Israel was exiled, the Assyrians would break the people up so that a rebellion couldn't happen. They would break families up. And we have families broken apart today. Rebellion. Distance. Brokenness from addiction. Whatever it is. And God wants to restore that through His light. Through His Son coming into the world. Breaking down the walls. Transforming our lives. That's why he sent his son. We've dealt with rebellion. At least two of our children. And we're thankful for the restoration and that they came back. So whether it be distance or rebellion or brokenness in your family. That's one of the reasons the light has come into the world. And when people are open to that light, families can change. 
and distances can be brought near. That's the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who rebelled said, I wish you were dead, Dad, but since you're not, I want my money. Went away to what? A far country. And the dad couldn't wait for him to return. That's God with us. That's us with our families. That's the prophecy of Isaiah. That's what the light can provide for us when we're willing to see the light and come into the light, when we're open. And then there's this illusion in the passage. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and young camels from Midian and Ephah, and those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense. Gee, that sure sounds like epiphany to me. A prophecy 700 years earlier of the wise men. It's interesting that the myrrh is not listed in this passage because this is the passage about the light coming, not about his suffering. Isaiah had already talked about that in chapters 52 and 53. This is about the light coming, the promise of the Messiah, the King, who comes into the world to bring restoration, to return people to the promised land. To reconcile people to God through Jesus Christ. That's this passage. This passage is full of hopefulness. Full of promise that God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's two other verses that I just want to point out. First is in verse 7 that says, They shall be acceptable on my altar. You know, part of the problem and part of the reason why the people were exiled was because they were making these offerings at the altar, thinking that it was all about the outward. It was all about the sacrifice. It was all about just going through the motions instead of the inward transformation. If I just do the formula right... That's not it. God wants our hearts. God wants to speak his word into our minds and hearts and change us. And that's why Jesus makes us acceptable. Our sacrifice acceptable. Not us. We can't do it. He does it. Through his life and death and resurrection, he does it. His love coming into the world, coming into our hearts, that changes us. And then we see in verse 9. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Isn't it interesting? When we come to him. When we give ourselves to him, when we glorify him, what does he do? He turns around and he glorifies us. He blesses us. This is a picture of the second coming of the Messiah. 
when we receive a crown, that's the promise. What a gift. What a blessing. And that's why we need to be like the wise men who seek Him, who go to Him, who are open to Him, open to His Word, open to His voice, open to His direction. And we seek to worship Him with the whole of our lives. It's an invitation. The light has come. Do you see it? Do you see it? Let's pray. Lord, there seems to be so much darkness in our world and blindness that people tend to live their own way, apart from you, sitting in darkness and hopelessness and brokenness. And you call to us, arise, shine, your light has come. Lord, help us to see the light, the light of life, your son, Jesus Christ. And the transformation that he brings through the power of the Holy Spirit for our lives. To heal us in our brokenness and our hopelessness. To heal broken families. That's the promise. That's the gift. And finally, to have that crown. Lord, help us to be open as the shepherds were open. Help us to be open as the wise men were open. And that we would shine, not only because we have been transformed, but shine so that others might see through us the gift of the light that has come into the world. The light of life, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.